the potential from red clover is massive. So we know from a, a range of studies that, you know, we can expect, you know, two to 300 kilos of uh, nitrogen to be fixed by the red clover plant. So really it has a massive role to displace chemical nitrogen inputs out of the system. But as well as that, we know that there can be, you know, benefits in terms of the, the, the animal response when consuming a red clover silages. Hello, I'm Stuart Childs and you're welcome to The Dairy Age, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With the focus being on reducing the chemical nitrogen input on farms to reduce nitrogen surpluses, there is increasing interest in the role of red clover silage and what it can do to reduce chemical input. Nikki Bourne of Chagas Grange has been working with red clover on the dairy beef system trials with the last few years, so I asked him to tell me more about the role of red clover and I started by asking Nikki if there are particular scenarios that are best suited to red clover. The potential for red clover is massive, but really where we probably see its main role is in those uh, silage swords. So we know that red clover has a massive ability to fix atmospheric nitrogen and make it plant ready available. So we know from a, a range of studies that, you know, we can expect, you know, two to 300 kilos of uh, nitrogen to be fixed by the red clover plant and made available to, to other plants uh, grown in that sport. So really, it has a massive role to displace, uh, you know, chemical nitrogen inputs out of the system. But as well as that, we know that there can be, you know, benefits in terms of the, the, the animal response when consuming a red clover silages. So that can, uh, you know, in effect, displace concentrate use out of our, our ruminant systems. And I suppose a combination of reduced fertilizer inputs, potentially less concentrate requirement, you know, them combined can really reduce cost and improve our nitrogen use efficiency uh, of our systems. So look, I think red clover, you know, in especially in a silage sword, a multi-cut system, that's probably where we see it working best. And where a lot of producers probably have an outblock uh, that maybe isn't that suitable for, for animal grazing, uh, you know, and that they can get to with, with slurry, uh, you know, that they find that, you know, a red clover crop can be very well suited in that scenario. Okay, so you mentioned the, um, the outblock scenario there, Nikki. like I suppose in highly stocked farms, most of these people are probably depending on those outblocks for the two cuts of silage in a lot of cases, um, and then coming back in maybe with young stock afterwards. Is that going to fall, go against the scenario for the, the red clover or what's your thinking on it? And we'll say in terms of does it offer some support maybe for zero grazing, again, displacing silage maybe in the first rotation that you could, like we'll say, this has a great ability to grow. So if it can, is there a scope to maybe manipulate that a little bit that you're, you you talked about the multi-cut system there, like that you'd be looking at four cuts that might involve a zero grazing or a five cut. Yeah, well, yeah, four cuts, four, three, four to five cuts probably, including a maybe zero grazing at the start of the season and, and grazing then by, with young stock at the end of the season. Is that feasible or is it just going to burn it out like? Yeah, so I suppose one of the big things that, that, that we'd find important you know, is not to carry a heavy cover into the winter months. You know, as days shorten, they get cooler. You know, we'll see a clover melt, uh, you know, start to happen, you know, from October onwards. So really what we want to do going into the winter months is to clean off those swords, carry a low cover and maximize the amount of light that is able to get down to that clover plant, you know, when, when growth does come back in the springtime. So be it, you know, if that's going to be done with a zero grazer, 
if it's going to be done with a very controlled light grazing, you know, uh, I wouldn't be too worried about the method as long as it's cleaned off and that we maximize and encourage light into the sward. What we do here in Grange, um, so look, we have a dairy beef system. So we do a three-cut silage system. Uh, then we'll probably grow between October or between September and uh, housing. We'll probably grow another, you know, two ton off those swords in the autumn time. And we graze that off with our dairy beef weanlands and probably, you know, 250 to 280 kilos live weight, a very intensive grazers. And we probably, you know, we pick our window of opportunity to get in to clean off those swords with those animals without causing any damage to the plant. Uh, so we give day allocations. We get them to eat the entire sward offering, so the clover and the grass, and we move off then what we've grazed. And one thing, what I, you know, see as a risk is, you know, where it is an outblock, you know, a farmer might decide to leave out, you know, a, a group of animals to that outblock, more or less set stocking them until it's cleaned off. And, you know, there's probably a lot of extra treading and we're probably exposing the plant to greater risk of, of damage uh, during that period. So what we do is, you know, we, we block graze in day allocations and keep them continuously moving, moving on and through through the area. Um, so, look, it's, it's more so for the sward rather than the animal at that stage of the year to set it up for for first coat silage, uh, you know, come early May the next year. Okay, so you mentioned there the day uh, allocations. Now I presume that's a 24-hour allocation, just to clarify. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so then grazing it off in rotation isn't causing you a problem then either. In ter- like, I'm just thinking if there's a nice bit of this on an outblock and people are grazing it with young stock, obviously, that they're going to be going through it, like you said, there maybe co- over a couple of days. So like if they start in October and for whatever reason they can't get at it in October and it's back in November before they go at it. Is that going to have a detrimental impact on it or is it, it it's not necessarily as short-lived as that, that kind of window that they have to clean it like? Yeah, look, you, you, you probably have a greater window than that. Uh, you will see clover percentage will start to reduce though as we move into the autumn and the winter. And is that just the melt that you're t- you were mentioning earlier in that is just dying back or, or is it a consequence of something else? Yeah, it would it would be the melt and a kind of a dilution effect that the grass isn't dying back or reducing at yeah. the same rate. Sorry, no, is that going to actually impact on it subsequently then if that happens or is it okay? Yeah, so what you could end up in that case is that you get it outcompeted for light. Uh, by the grass plant, you know, if if it does get too much of, a, of an advantage, uh, you know, in, in that late autumn and into the winter. Uh, what we would see is if we take it, say, in early September and um, around, you know, third cut, you're probably close to 90% red clover on a dry matter basis in the sward. If we skip forward into October, November time, we're probably back down you know, mid to low 20s in terms of uh, red clover and a dry matter percentage. So it's probably back, you know, at a, at a more easier to manage clover level for grazing with those animals uh, as well. And we'll see that decline further. And we probably at the start of the year in January, our red clover proportion in the sport will be back, you know, in the low teens, about 14, 15% dry matter. And what we want to do is to, you know, give the sward conditions that will encourage, you know, a very uh, steady increase from that low level in the in January, you know, right up to, you know, 30, 40% uh, come first cut silage in early May and further, you know, 75 to 80, uh, you know, for, for second cut 
uh, onwards. Because look, the more the higher the clover proportion we have, the more nitrogen that's been fixed, and ultimately the more tons that can be produced. So managing that proportion and encouraging you know a high level of clover during you know the growing season is is going to be really important, and it probably all comes back to light. Okay, and you mentioned earlier now that you're looking to cut early May there. How critical is that to the uh, preservation of the clover, I suppose? In, in, uh, and when I say preservation, I mean ex- extending its lifespan as opposed to actually preserving it. Because if we leave it run on towards the kind of normal first cut scenario of maybe post the 20th of May type situation, are you getting a crowding then occurring that's going to impact on clover uh, content again? Yeah, I suppose you probably will see. So, look, there's a number of benefits to getting that first cut gone as early as possible. Uh, so one of the big ones is th- the earlier we can pull back that first cut, the earlier we can take the third cut silage. And we probably have a better chance of making good quality silage, you know, uh, you know, earlier on in, in the autumn. Uh, you know, we don't want to be making silage beyond mid-September, especially where we've, you know, a relatively high nitrates crop uh, reduce wilting conditions that third cut can be difficult uh, to ensile so pulling back that first cut you know will benefit that but a big one what we see you know the once we get first cut taken we we should see a very 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 rapid increase in the proportion of red clover in the sward so if we take it you know when we cut our our first cut we have a moderate level of red clover but once we let the light, you know, hit that red clover plant, the grass is somewhat stunted after first cut. And you see that the red clover gets a big, big advantage from the reduced competition from the grass. And we see, you know, it dominate the sward, you know, in the run up to second cut. So we go from probably mid 30s up to perhaps mid 80s in terms of red clover percentage. So that's by reducing the competition from the grass. And encouraging, you know, letting the red clover b- plant benefit from, you know, from all the light that uh, ex- uh, the sward is exposed to. So that the sooner we get that initial herbage cleaned off, the more, you know, the 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 more of an advantage we're given the red clover plant going into those summer months. Very good. So just uh, we've spoken about the risk of the treading damage during the in the grazing late in the year. What's the story with the cutting height for it? We'll say in terms of the trading damage is obviously not to damage the crown and the clover plant in particular. So what's the situation with that cutting height? Does do people need to be adjusting that or is it an issue, we'll say? Yeah, so I suppose look, from our experience here, it's quite difficult to adjust a lot of a lot of the mowers. Um, and look, for our research purposes, we're managing the grass only swords identically to the grass clover. So they're cut with the same mower at a comparable uh, comparable uh, stubble height. So if you measure that with a ruler, you're probably talking seven, eight centimetres of a stubble height with your conventional type mower. But one thing we find that probably is a bigger effect is the stage of cutting. So if we take that first cut, for example, if we let that push on up to the 1st of June, you know, and go for a big, big, heavy, bulky crop, we're probably been a lot more severe on the red clover plant, that the growing point is nearly traveling up higher on the stem of the shoot of the plant. And that cutting that at the same height as what, you know, a more, a lighter crop cut nearly may, you know, it probably means two different things uh, to those plants. So I think the stage of cutting probably will have a bigger effect than the the height of the the mower bed. Um, But look, we don't want to be going, be it 
a grass sward or a grass clover, you don't want to be going too, too severe. But when we talk about the, the damage to the, the crown or the shoot of the, the red clover plant, see, red clover is probably different than our white clover, where white clover has a stoloniferous growth habit, so it can put down multiple growing points where it can rejuvenate from. Whereas with the red clover plant, it grows from a solitary uh, growing point uh, for that single plant. So if we've poor establishment or anything, there's no opportunity for those to tiller or to regenerate from the parent plant. It's, you know, so if we start off at a very low level, it's very hard to increase that percentage over time. So we have to be really careful about protecting those plants because they're standalone individual plants. And if they get damaged out of the sward, you know, it just creates space that, that isn't going to be occupied by, by a red clover plant. So you kind of have what you have and it's about minding and managing that uh, to, to carry it over as many years as possible. Just I suppose in, the, in terms of the cost of it then, Nicky, like uh, we've obviously, you've mentioned it, you're talking about maybe 200 kilos of nitrogen being removed from the system there and the kind of corn prices, fairly significant on a per acre basis, anywhere from 150 to 200 euro, maybe an acre of a saving. Now it's all, it's not, it's not all as simple as that, I suppose there's the whole lifespan of the crop has to be taken into account and then we'll say obviously the feeding of a clover, red clover crop is slightly more intensive maybe even nearly than your normal two-cut uh, grass silage type scenario. So what kind of costs are we looking at in relation to saving on it? Yeah, so if we just take our, our grange system here where we've incorporated red clover um, and if we take it and just for simplicity, if we look at it on a per bale basis, we're probably saving in the region of eight euros per bale for a, you know, a predominantly red clover silage-based sward over a grass-only sward. Uh, that grass-only sward is getting an extra 200 kilos of chemical nitrogen. So say from fertilizer alone, we're probably saving in the region of 200 to 230 euros per, per, per acre in chemical nitrogen input. It's not all savings, you know, we're saving the nitrogen, but we'll probably have a bigger spend on the application of cattle slurry and the handling cost of that, as well as, you know, where we may not have sufficient slurry, you know, you're going to have to be putting back that P&K offtake in the form of 0730 or some other type of, of, of a compound. So look, we'd be estimating, look, we're probably doing about 25, 26 bales per acre over that three cut system. Uh, and we're probably saving in the region of, of eight euros a bale. So, you know, you're up at um, a saving of, you know, um, 200, yeah. 200 euros an acre. Uh, that's, you know, fully costed, including land, uh, fertilizer, etc. In in terms of your silage. So, look, there is the potential for significant savings. But the key drivers of it is fertilizer cost in terms of chemical nitrogen. If that becomes really, really cheap back to you know, historical levels, you know, the, the, the role of red clover in terms of the economics will be reduced somewhat. Uh, also, the lifespan of the sport, you know, that HRO advantage is written off over a six-year period. But we know, you know, what we should be looking at is, fair enough, the red clover will have a limited lifespan, maybe four to six years. But we should be looking at a system where we can get the grass components of that sward to continue on you know, perhaps in excess of, of 10 years and fit into your, your standard reseeding program. And the longer we can write off, you know, the initial cost of that sward rejuvenation, you know, the more competitive we make red clover 
a silage system. So, you know, we don't want very short-term lays. We want them to survive in excess of 10 years, of which, you know, maybe four to six of those years can, uh, you know, avail of, of red clover. Uh, but we want to keep, you know, good quality grass varieties in there that will remain productive, you know, from year six uh, to, to beyond year, year 10. And I think that's where the real, real advantage of, of it can come from. Okay, so um, you mentioned the reseeding piece there, just uh, I suppose the reason for talking to you today is the second cuts maybe coming off of, off of some ground now and maybe people might be looking at reseeding. Generally, we find in, in intensive situations anyway that people probably tend to reseed the silage ground after the second cut. So is it feasible for people to start sowing red clover or today being the middle of July, the third week of July type scenario? Is it feasible for people to to go about receding it, or is it something that needs to be sown earlier in the year? Yeah. So look, I, I suppose we, we've we've tried both, um, you know, your autumn and your spring reseeds, and look, it's especially this year, I think we'll probably see, you know, there was a scheme there to encourage uh, the sowing of red clover swords cl- closed on the fifteenth, but I think you know with the drought, with the poor wet weather in the last week or so you know we probably will have a lot of farmers who intended on sowing red clover that haven't got the job done yet for one reason or another so look there probably is opportunity to sow in the autumn but from our experience before with you know going in after second cuts um we probably found we're sown in late august by the time it greened up again after second cut uh, and we found that we struggled to get you know that post-emergent management uh, put in place so we actually, initially in those autumn reseeds, we'd very, very, what we thought was poor strike of clover until we took first cut off the sward the following spring. So we ended up with a chickweed problem. We couldn't get on post-emergence uh, spray, uh, you know, in, in, in the autumn of the year. You know, it just your window of opportunity is much more limited in the autumn. Um, but it might be slow to strike, but it may not necessarily be a failure. But what we did find with that kind of April and May reseed in the spring, you know, we got very, very uh, strong clover establishment, you know, over that first production year and got, you know, the benefits of that, you know, in, in the year of, of sowing. Uh, and we just had a wider window of opportunity to get the correct post uh, management uh, put in place. So getting control of our broad-leaved weeds, uh, encouraging you know, getting the swords cleaned off. We initially grazed them with 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 light uh, calves in the first uh, grazing, uh, and you know um, that you know is allowed during those summer months. You have very good underfoot conditions, and you can get that done quite successfully. Just the autumn, uh, you know, our hands were tied a little bit. We didn't get you know the management uh, that that we would have liked to have had put in place. But look, that can differ. You know, it's totally dependent on it's farm specific, you know, talking to producers in, in the southeast of the country, you know, probably getting much better uh, opportunity in the autumn of the year to to, to encourage uh, red clover into the swords in comparison to here and mead on a, on a heavier type clay that we have. Our, our opportunity can be a little bit more restricted. And a colder soil as well, Nicky. I think a lot of people take that for granted that uh, Grange is probably a warmer area. Like, uh, but it, like compared to Wexford, there's a big difference in temperature in the latter part of the year than there would be in Grange. But might like, have saved us in the autumn reseed. 
is that the clover didn't really strike at all initially in the autumn or the winter, but it remained there uh, and, you know, did strike uh, once, uh, you know, soil temperature uh, peaked and light was encouraged back into the sport after first cut the, the, the following uh, May. And okay. so that that is, is our experience of it. Okay, so I suppose just the final few questions on it, I suppose, are the, around the practicality. So there's a theory there that you need to leave it flower before it's cut for the first time. Um, what's, the, what's your view on that? It's not producing viable seeds or self-seeding or anything when you see that, that initial red bud emerge on it. But probably what is happening in that case is that we've allowed enough time between harvest dates, you know, that the red bud or red flower has emerged. And what that is indicative of, that we've allowed enough time between harvests, harvest dates to allow the plant intercept uh, sunlight with the full canopy established, intercept sunlight and replenish that energy reserve that is, is, is used from the taproot of the plant to fuel that rapid regrowth after silage harvest. So through photosynthesis from the sunlight, you know, those carbohydrate reserves in the taproot are replenished. So if we go in at very short cutting intervals where the crop hasn't had a full canopy to, to benefit from and intercept all that sunlight, we may not be fully replenishing the, the energy reserve used up to fuel the regrowth. And if we continuously keep cutting at short intervals, you know, we can deplenish that reserve and burn out the plant out of the sward. So typically at around six weeks of um, a cutting interval, we probably will see that little red bud emerging on some of the, the more advanced plants. And that is indicative that we've given it enough time with that canopy that we can we, that we can go in and take our, our, our next cut. And that's just kind of a little indicator that, that we would use here. And is that just a handful of plants showing that, Nicky, then, or is it actually fairly uniform across you the probably could Look, you could be talking 30-40% of, of the, the standing crop, you know, probably will have that little bud uh, emerging on it and look you will see with the red clover plants they are a more fibrous stemmier stalkier type plant to support that that plant structure that can allow it you know intercept all that sunlight okay so then i suppose moving on from that we've decided that we're going to cut it now on the basis that we've had the, that percentage of of uh, the crop flowering and so forth how how easy or difficult is it to preserve it um, in terms of tedding, wilting, etc.? What's what's the best practice in relation to that? Yeah, so look, as everyone will be well aware that you look, you probably are looking at higher nitrate levels in your red clover silage. There's a higher buffering capacity, and so it can be more difficult. And generally, your red clover will have lower sugar content. So a combination of those factors can make it more difficult to to um in soil in comparison to grass only so there's a few things that we can do you know to aid that process and look a lot of them are very similar to your grass only so try and cut in good weather conditions where you know the sugars are drawn up out of the the plants residual and and present in the leaf uh, for the time of cutting Uh, you want to be cutting you know with good weather good drying weather that will ensure that we probably get up to 48 hours of a wilt on, on the clover plant uh, one thing that we try and do when we're wilting, you see, the red clover will be lower dry matter, but it dries out at a very quick rate once it's cut. And you'll see the first thing when we do get a wilt on it is the leaf curls up and it goes really, really dry. And if you just rub it between the two pans of your hands, you'll see it goes to dust very, very quickly. So if we go in 
with, you know, a tether or a rake, you know, when we have, you know, a certain level of drying on that leaf, the leaf can shatter and we can lose it out of the sward and miss out on all the nutritive value of that leaf. So what we try to do here, if we do have to uh, condition the sward or rake it in or do anything like that, we try and do it while there still is some sap in the sward. So maybe within the first day of cutting, if we do have to rake it in or to, to row it up for, for, for picking, we try to do that when it still is relatively fresh and not, not um, overly dry at that point. So I would be saying try and minimize the amount of mechanical passes on the swords. If you have to ted it or do some of those interventions with it, you know, make sure you, you have your machine set properly, that you're not overbeating the grass and getting shatter and lots of that leaf out of the sword. So probably low revs, uh, you know, in terms of your rakes and bringing it in, you know, as gently as possible and uh, and minimizing leaf loss out of the, the crop. So is that suggesting that you cut it into 10 foot swarts and kind of try and row it up within 24 hours and maybe leave it another day then before you'd actually bail it up? Yeah, so our scenario here, we cut with a, a 10 foot more conditioner and we try to leave it in that sward for, for picking um picking and look that won't be an option with a lot of contractor services you know they're they're probably looking to pick a, a bigger sword but if that is the case i'd be trying to get it raked in uh when it is uh somewhat uh, um before it gets really really dry and you get a lot of leaf shatter in it yeah but to be fair i suppose you're talking about a reasonably big crop you know you're not talking about light cuttings that like lads want to rake up because it makes it easier to to fill the bale even almost like you, you will have a decent swart from the 10 foot cut that you're talking about there though won't you oh absolutely and look red clover we, we talked about like red clover is one of the one of the things that <laughs> it's less but it should mean more as well so we're talking you know an excess of 19 tons dry matter production uh, in year th- three of our red clover silage swords here so look they're very high output swords um so it's not a, it's not a, you know, a very low, uh, it's a low input system, but it, it is capable of very, very high output when managed properly. So look, there there is substantial cuts there across the first, second and third. Um, you know, they are heavy crops. Um, so look, if you do a 10 foot sword in those crops is more than capable of, of making a very well-formed bale. Okay, so I suppose... Final question I'll put to you, Nicky, is um, I know you're working, as you said, in the dairy bee side of things, and you've pro- you've just had the most experience of the red clover at the moment. And I know Mike Deneen is uh, is doing a bit of work on how it impacts on the dairy cow. But what kind of category of animal would you be feeding it to? And we'll say from your experience of the the beef, the dairy beef system, there, what's the fe- what are the feeding characteristics of it like? Yeah, so as you said, look, Mike is is um looking at. Uh, you know, the role of red clover silage in early and late lactation. Um, but we're looking at, you know, its role within a dairy beef system. But even if we take our dairy beef wheelands, I think they're a very good model for your dairy replacement heifers. And if we just take that dairy beef wheelan over the first year, what we found this year in, in our in our initial trial feeding second cut red clover silage, we found that our dairy beef wheelan, they they grew 20% better in terms of average daily gain over the first winter, but they consumed 28% more dry matter uh, on, on a, uh, per day over that first winter. So it's that extra dry matter intake, uh, probably benefiting somewhat from an elevated protein uh, intake as well. 
um, you know, that drove on extra animal live weight gain performance. Look, we did supplement with a kilo and a half of a barley-based concentrate. Uh, we grew up at 0.9 of a kilo a day, which is probably higher than, you know, your, your growth requirements in a dairy beef animal where we have the opportunity for compensatory growth. So really what that performance from the red clover silage would, would indicate to us is that, you know, we potentially have a crop here that could displace the need to supplement with concentrates over that first winter to grow at a moderate rate. Um, and one thing, I think it could be more important even in a replacement heifer scenario. Look, in a, you're, you know, you want to have your heifers ad, advanced as possible to be at that minimum weight for breeding, uh, you know, uh, come, come, uh, come breeding time for those heifers. So, you know, high quality red clover uh, silages, you know, can be a great tool to target towards those replacement heifers to get ver- to ensure good growth rates over the first winter, good lean growth on these animals and get them well developed that they're going to be on on target for breeding, uh, you know, the, the, the following uh, spring or summer. And, you know, red clover, it has the opportunity to help you do that, you know, with low levels of concentration or perhaps even eliminating the need for concentrates. Okay, very good. So I suppose the the final question, so Nick, kind of from what you said there, um, I, am I right in thinking that you're talking about getting four to six years out of your clover and then obviously that they last for another four, four to five years after that? So is this really kind of a rotational crop as such that maybe your high quality silage for your weanlings, for your early and late lactation animals might actually be coming from the red clover piece? And that you're not, you could have a fairly substantial uh, quantity of uh, conventional silage still floating around in the system. Is that a fair s- summation of it? Absolutely, yeah. No, that's the practical realities of it. Look, we've twenty percent of our farm here uh, on the platform um, in red clover silage. And to be honest, I wouldn't really like any more of it uh, in red clover silage because it does tie our hands in terms of that flexibility top between grazing or our silage. And um, so, look you're probably looking at that kind of a, you know, proportion of your overall silage area, you know, probably can have red clover. And that can be within a reseeding program. But we need to identify the animal categories that we get the best response from that red clover crop. So is it in that replacement heifer? Probably more so than in a dry cow. You know, you're probably getting, you know, marginal benefit, if any, in a dry cow diet. You know, you know, so... Look, you have to identify your stock categories where you want to prioritize and benefit from that high intake potential, high intake of protein. You know, where is that going to give you the most amount of benefit? But I just be very conscious about where you do sow this crop. You know, it's not going to be the paddock right beside the parlor um, that you're going to tie up and put in a crop that requires a very, very different type of management. Uh, So you have to be smart in the areas you do that. And often, look, a lot of guys who do put in red clover, it's probably in a, maybe a bale system that is complementary to your pit silage for your grass and that you have this reserve of really high quality uh, silage, uh, you know, in, in bale format. Um, so, look, it's suiting it to your farm. But, look, you probably do need, um, look, if you look at James Humphrey's recommendations and from his experience with it, you know, he would be recommending, uh, you know, a four-year break between a red clover crops so given that four-year break it probably does fit in well in a standard 10-year reseeding program you know that you've got the benefit for four to six years 
you probably have four years without red clover and you're back in then reseeding at your 10 to 12 year uh, interval again. So, and that's to break down, you know, some of those soil borne uh, challenges such as stem eelworm uh, that can can affect those those tap roots. Very good, Nikki. I think uh, you summed it up pretty well there in relation to the kind of being smart about where you put it, uh, thinking about the paddocks that you are going to put into it, where they are on the farm and how f- achievable it is going to be to graze them or to cut them at whatever stage of the year that you're looking at doing it. So and that the whole farm isn't going to be in clover, iron red clover at any one stage. Um, I suppose the other thing there that uh, you, you may have mentioned it was the white clover obviously would be in, maybe in with that as well, would it? Would you be in favour of that or not in, in those silage mixes that would be there when your red clover dies off that you have a good grass and uh, white clover type sward left after? Yeah, I think, look, that is, look, for our research system, because we want to look at the contribution of red clover to animal performance, we've left out white clover for that reason that we didn't want to you know, mask where the differences were coming from. But I think when the the red clover is gone, I want to have my best quality perennial ryegrass varieties and, you know, uh, white clover that can pick up where the red clover has left off. And look, the only thing you'd worry about is that you're starving the white clover light in that silage type system. But look, you're managing it still under a low nitrogen system. So it probably can benefit from 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 that uh, you know, absence of, of chemical nitrogen application that you should have a good proportion. Okay, Nikki, that's super. A very informative piece and people will get real benefit from uh, your advice and your in, um, education and this of, of red, red clover over the last number of years. So thanks for coming on with us today and uh, best of luck with the rest of the research. Thanks, George. That's all for this week's episode of The Dairy Age and my thanks to Nikki Byrne for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify, and for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Stuart Childs, and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.